Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always we end the show with our recommendations for further reading inspired by this week's movie. But before we kick off, as always, now a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So Rob? I have unusually actually watched something good this week that I can recommend heartily. Which is unusual for you and me. Uh, so this week I've uh, just kind of saw it on the shelf and I thought, you know what, I'm ready for a bit of that. I watched 1995's Heat from Michael Mann. Oh, great film. Great film. I've, I, there aren't enough good things about this film. Basically you've got Al Pacino, Robert De Niro as bank robber and cop and sort of the cat and mouse game that uh, grows up between the two of them. Um, and as one closes in the other and tries to escape the other one. It is, I think, Michael Mann's possibly his best film. Um, it's one of the best kind of heist-slash-action-slash-thrillers out there. Um, and to be honest, I think if you're listening to a podcast like this about films like these, you've probably seen Heat and you probably know how good yeah. it is. But if you haven't, you really should. All right. Um, and in top that in a double whammy for this week, we've got two things that it's worth watching. Hurrah! Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm going to talk about it's again a TV series, not not a film. This one, but it's the new BBC series Taboo, um, which is it, it's in, it's quite light heat actually in in that sort of incredibly gritty and you don't really have a lot of empathy for any of the characters um but it's 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 very well made and it's it's beautifully shot and and i've only seen seen the first episode but i'm intrigued to see the rest of it so it's taboo brilliant i haven't seen myself but i I hear it's very good Mm. excellent well sam do you want to do us a quick intro to this week's film yes so this week we're looking at the sixth harry potter book sixth film um, sixth book is seven sixth film of eight harry potter and the half-blood prince this place has known magic very dark very powerful this time I cannot hope to destroy it alone times like these dark times it can bring people together Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince um, follows on as these films tend to from the um, previous film in, in the franchise and there are I suppose three main threads to it one involves um and blanket spoiler alert applying as always um apart from i I would just mention this one it's a mission of draco malfoy's um any anything beyond this will get very spoilerful um and the two other strands involve an old book that harry finds in in one of his potions classes and the teacher of that potions class, who is um, Horace Slughorn, played by Jim Broadbent. And it's how those three stories interweave, basically, is, is the rest of the film. Uh, apart from Jim Broadbent and the returning um, 
Helen Bonham Carter, who guns and dances as usual. Um, it, it's strange that she doesn't really be, isn't really able to act more than one character. Um, what? No. <laughs> but the, the film she makes with, with, with Tom Tim Burton—they're also unique and different. Yes. <laughs> We know about you and Tim Burton. And the, <laughs> the three three main characters return, and it's also to do with the interplay between the three of them, but that's mainly as far as I will take it for now. Rob, your thoughts? Last week we discussed the uh, Order of the Phoenix. I said it wasn't my favourite, maybe my least favourite. This is probably my second favourite Potter film. I think that this is the film in which they nail... They really nail the tone of the film. The film is dark in places, but also has some of the funniest scenes in the whole franchise. It has some of the most sort of rip-roarious, uplifting scenes, in series, but also has some of the saddest and most emotionally emotive scenes in the franchise. Now, it's hard to know how much of that is earned by the previous five films. You know, the, 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 the and this is straight into spoiler watching, the death of Dumbledore is something that you feel because he's been there for six films. Um, and the moment in which Ron triumphs as the um, um, goalkeeper in Quidditch, you feel because he's been the, 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 you know, the understudy for all these films. But I, I hands down enjoy it. I will say that it once we discussed last week, it does feel like they're putting a lot of pieces in place. And it is notable that they had to invent an action scene in which the um, the Weasley's home is intact is attacked um, from the well, not in the book it's committed for the film just so that there was sort of a midpoint action scene in the film. Otherwise, it's a lot of sitting around, talking, learning, watching. You know, it, it's a, it's a research movie essentially. Um, it, it, it's a two-hour montage in which our our main heroes learn everything they need to learn for the final. Denouement of next of next the next two films or next mm. one book as it were, um, but I I think it's great. I think you know the scenes in which Harry has taken the luck potion and he's interacting with Slughorn and Hagrid. It's, it shows how far as an actor Radcliffe has come. You really feel the three main act, the main characters have suddenly come on leaps and bounds in their acting since the, the, early, the early films, um, and are really inhabiting the characters. Sam. What what are your thoughts? Well, in the first for the podcast, this is two weeks running when I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, I don't know which is your favourite film in the franchise, but this is certainly my favourite so far. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. As as you said, I mean, everything you said holds up. It's, it's just the perfect combination of gritty, action-led drama and brooding interiority and yet also on the other hand it's just laugh out loud comedy it's it's fun it's just i can't say enough good things about this film i i do really like this film um and one actually one one thing i was thinking right at the end of this film which kind of encapsulates for me how good the film is is the fact that um in the end credits um, they use uh, whoever's decision it was might have been David Yates' decision might have been a, another decision um, for the titles themselves they use 
clouds of black ink that mimic the clouds that the Death Eaters take. And it's that sense that it, they, they're just just careful about everything and everything is done so precisely and you have something like that that unifies the whole film and it just encapsulates for me how brilliantly thought out this whole film is I really enjoyed it I'm, I'm very very glad I think it, it, it's it's a sound terrible it's taken five or six films but it feels like it's hit stride now it's interesting actually as we I mean, you talked very positively about how how it's hit its stride, and it seems that the the series is blossoming. And at the very point, you have a sense that things are winding down, and mm. and even in that in that shot of Diagon Alley right at the beginning, you've got the sense that there's decay throughout the alley, and you've just got Fred and George's joke shop surrounded by a wasteland where nothing else exists. So just just as you have the film series ramping up, you have it, it kind of it, if the world's falling apart for Harry, but also for everyone else in 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 this Harry Potter world. Yeah, it, it's it's you know it's, it, his kind of post outbreak of war, isn't it? Really, mm. you know, you, you've you, all these things that you've seen. Um, as part of the world that Potter lives in and that Rowling has built over these films, suddenly it's falling apart. It's becoming corrupted. You know, the Diagon Alley, which in the first film is this bright, bustling, almost metropolis of magic, is now this kind of shuttered and dark. And, clear, and, and Diagon Alley, which was the bright versus the darkened uh, Nocturne Alley, it now all looks the same. Mm. And even if you look at the film itself, I mean, I, I, I from my own um, sort of gratification, having finished this film I went back and watched like little snips of the first film the palette in this film is so much darker and more neutral and sort of mm. really washed out in so many places you know you have like bright scenes with little candles but everything's really kind of the sumptuousness of the early films has given way to not despair but just kind of this encroaching realisation of adulthood and encroaching moroseness to everything that's going on mm. I, I was thinking actually right right at the end with um, Harry and Dumbledore in, in the cavern um, with, the, with the Horcrux and it that scene is so washed out that it's basically black and white mm. and they, they he's done, done that intentionally the cinematographer has done it intentionally so that it almost no longer looks like you're watching a, a colour film. And even, I mean, when when Harry falls into the water, you've got a flash of colour, but that's only a flash of murky green, and you've, you've still got the black and white. And then suddenly you have Dumbledore creates the fire, and you've got this world explode in, into colour. But that, that sort of... It, that explosion of colour just makes it makes it all the more obvious how how muted that palette was. Mm. I think, and, and, and we touched on this a little bit last week with the uh, the visions and the four visions of of how. But this point, we started delving into the world of the pensive, in which they experience uh, sort of memories. Mm. And once again, this has got its own aesthetic 
that, that is kind of new to us. And it's got this kind of tilt shift effect to all the shots. Uh, those who, you know what I mean, basically it's a, it's a very, very narrow field focus and everything else is blurred. So if you imagine there's videos in like, everything looks like a model village. You've seen the videos where, photos where a real world thing looks like a model village. It's that same kind of feeling. If you think of the shots of Dumbledore and Riddle um, in the orphanage early on, like Dumbledore's in focus and everything else is artificially blurred off. It clearly is kind of like a, that fuzzy edges. And that I think is designed to mimic the idea of, of the fuzziness of memory. You know, I mean, uh, we. I'm sure you you say the same. I, I have memories of, of my teenage years and my teenage years, but they're just kind of fuzzy. I remember things happening. I can't put them in terms of exactly when they happened, mm. um, or all the details. And you get with these kind of fuzzy memories of a lot of things. And I think that 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 visual style, um, in which they are reliving memories, is designed to be fuzzy for that reason. Yeah. And that, that I think is, well it's, I talked about the Death Eaters and the closing credits and actually just thinking about it, that, that, that sort of feathery inky style is what you have at the beginning of those memory sequences as well. So you have a sense in this link between the memories and the Death Eaters that nothing is wholly positive anymore. It's that, like you no. said, that the encroaching realization of adulthood that that these memories will always be tainted in some way, and it won't. Maybe it won't be so obvious that they'll always be associated with Death Eaters, but there will be some way in which they're some way in which they're negative, some some little sadness. Hmm. And you have that even with um, Slughorn talking about Lily towards the end. You have that sense that there there was there's a, a a, a lovely memory there of someone that they they both loved, both Harry and Horace loved. But actually, there's something really sad about it as well. This the emptiness of the bowl is is sort of a, a metaphor for this this emptiness that Harry feels. So I think I think memory is really important. In this. I, I I agree. I think there's also uh, we mentioned it briefly before we kicked off, but there's this reoccurring theme here of kind of I don't know sort of corruption and, and desecration. Um, and the idea of, of things being perverted um, and, and destroyed in many ways. Um, we've got, you, through this, you've got the idea of, um, let's talk about the memories. There's the memory which has been tampered with of slughorns um, that is kind of corrupted a little bit. Um, and the mission, if you want to call it that, of, of, the, of the film is to discover what Riddle's been doing which not only is a desecration of his soul in trying to um, make these Horcruxes, but also a desecration of objects. You know, the, 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 the idea of these things, these things are everyday objects that have been desecrated, mm. be it the book, be it the ring, be it uh, the locket that they get at the end. Yes. It's, I think the thing that the world we've been, we've been searching for is sort of distortion that you have... There's some sort of visual distortion going on with, like you said, with with the tilt shift, with the way this is filmed, and with the focus on the changes in color palette. But you've also got that that distorting attitude to objects becoming something different, and mm. you have Riddle talking about imbuing his 
immune certain objects with his soul and what he'll do in order to achieve that. And there is something really, uh, really perverse and really desecratory about that, if desecratory is a word. But there's also something distorted about it. There's an extent to which the film is saying, well, we're going to look at things differently. This film is about looking at things from a different angle. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, it's, you know, it's... We had to touch a little bit last week with the lies and alternative facts kind of thing, um, but yeah, you, you've got the idea again of like of things not being what we think they are, and things not being as they first appear. You know, you got the early scene in which um, that they go to visit Slughorn in his house, and he's faked up like he's been robbed in a break-in, and that turns out to be a sort of double fake about what's going on. And obviously, this comes back to the, the end of the film in which. Snape, who we think has been on our side the entire way, and this is often discussed is he good, is he bad, reveals himself to be in league with the Death Eaters, in that he, you know, he kills Dumbledore, he runs away with Malfoy and um, Bellatrix, and the the, the facade is removed um, and what we thought he was he isn't. I think also right at the end of the film you have a scene which seems to me I mean, it made made a real impact on me. You have, I'm thinking through how to explain it. It is the scene um, after Dumbledore's death, before um, the discovery of who the Half Blood Prince is. But it's when they're they're cavorting through the Great Hall, and you have Bellatrix mm. dancing down the table and smashing things, and then you have you have the her smashing the windows as well. And it's at that point that you think lots of other things have gone wrong, lots of other buildings have been damaged, but you've you've always thought, well, actually, at the back of my mind, there was the idea that we could reset here. Things could be all right. Things could be made whole again, mm-hmm. just about. And it's at that moment, with Bellatrix desecrating this table smashing things left right and center smashing the windows that was the first moment when i thought oh actually no you can't make everything right again and you have it with with continuing with harry at the end of the film saying he's not coming back but that moment with bellatrix is the first time that you think oh this this is the end of the line we've had six films which start in the same way with them going to Hogwarts on a train, basically, or them going mm. to Hogwarts some other way, um, and then going home at the end of the year and everything's been resolved, and suddenly you realise that that resolution is gone, because these these people, this group of Death Eaters, have fundamentally destroyed something about Hogwarts, and it means that Harry can't go back, and we can't go back as well. I think, you know, as you say, all the way through the, the film at the point, Hogwarts was the safe space. Mm. You know, the, the bad things happened there, obviously, with, with the events of those three films, but there was a, a power structure that was safe. There were teachers, there were Dumbledore was in charge. You know, the, 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 of all those fails, Dumbledore was in charge. Mm. And you've got looking at the narrative of the entire structure. You've got to see in the last film we had the destruction of the idea that the ministry was safe, so that's been removed from us. And in this one, we've now what well, that left Dumbledore. That left Dumbledore as the person that Harry could go to, and now that's gone as well. 
and with the removal of Sirius, with the um, the death of um, Dumbledore, we've got Harry now not on his own, but certainly without a a father figure to turn to. I mean, you've got characters like Remus, you've got um, other characters in the Order, but they certainly don't have the same weight um, of narrative as the same as Dumbledore does. And you've got this setting up into the last film in which the three of them are, are kind of off by themselves. Hmm. Yeah. And that's that's interesting because it sort of it sort of then suggests that these last two films are going to be fundamentally different. It's going to be these three on their own to a certain extent. So you've had a six film series that's been about them having a support network and being able to rely on Sirius or Mr. Weasley or Dumbledore and suddenly they can't rely on it anyone and even like Mr. Weasley's still there but his house is gone so you, mm. you have you even have things being being chopped out from under them in that way so there's there's a real sense that going into this this seventh film this final book there's a real sense that they are actually on their own now and that's uh, there's something interesting about this franchise there's not really a franchise it's two franchises it's the franchise of their time the Hogwarts and then what we're moving into now is is in some ways a step forward into the unknown yes the structure the is gone but I, I don't I don't think necessarily that's a bad thing no I mean we normally say, we, we normally say oh my god the structure's gone that's terrible it's fallen apart that's not a bad thing here the structure has gone and it's and I'm I'm excited to see where it's going to go now I, c- I can only agree with you so Sam do you have some recommendations for us yes um, I've one thematic and one actor linked um, the actor linked, I like to pick an actor who it tends to only only, re- only really appear in the one film. So I picked um, Mervis Thornton last time. And this time I like to focus on Jim Broadbent, who is Horace Slughorn in this. Um, and a link, not necessarily a very thematic link, but it's a link to a great film and one I'm sure I've mentioned before because I love it and it's the Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg film Hot Fuzz so Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost let's not forget Nick Frost um, and it's it's great such a good film yes um, it's brilliant yes and my second one is thematic and I think it's the first time that it may not be the first time my memory may be um, playing tricks on me, but I think it's the first time that I've mentioned the film that gave its title to this podcast. Um, and I was thinking about The Prestige, um, which is another great film. Um, I was thinking about it during the series of experiments that we see Draco performing. And by the way, if your name is Dragon badly done then I think it's probably a safe bet that you're going to be a villain um, anyway so uh, the series of experiments we see with, with Draco and the Vanishing Cabinet and the 
the birds and the apple. Um, they reminded me very much of the not only the subject matter but also the aesthetic of the prestige. So mm-hmm. I would heartily recommend that. Brilliant. At some point, we will need to cover that one on the podcast. You probably should. Uh, yeah. Maybe a hundred. So I, I, I cunningly have taken the same actor you have and taken the same sort of theme you have a little bit. So my actor, once again, is Jim Broadbent. And I, in my ongoing desire to push films that people don't rave as much about as they think they should, I'm going to push the, what year was it out? 2002 film, Gangs of New York. <laughs> Essentially a Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Lewis film. It did feature... Jim Broadbent as uh, Boss Tweed in it, essentially telling the story of the birth of New York City and the gangs who um, inhabit it and uh, in what called the Five Points area, uh, back when it was New Amsterdam. It is epic in scope, it is very violent, um, but you've got two of the best actors of our generation um, trading wits and trading blows. I, it's long, it, 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 it is long, it, it is an investment of time, but you will watch it and you will recognise everybody in it. They're brilliant actors, brilliant direction from um, Scorsese. And it is, it is a Scorsese that's often forgotten, and so I wanted to give it a bit more, a bit more love. Yeah. My second recommendation comes from our theme of kind of, of destruction and desolation and um, perversion, I suppose. And that is the film from 2009, The Road. It's based on a Cormac McCarthy book. I may have recommended this previously on the podcast. I think I have. Um, by John Hillcote. It is a post-apocalyptic story. But if you're thinking of Mad Max, you're thinking of the wrong kind of film. This is grim and relentless and dark and hopeless. And you will need a shower after seeing this film. But it is one of the best books I've read in my entire life. And it is an amazing piece of filmmaking in the, the way in which it handles this, this corrupted and dying world with with style and grace, but at the same time, just sadness. Um, it is not a fun film. It is certainly not Mad Max. It's not Book of Eli. This is not a, a rip-roaring adventure for anybody involved. But it is, if you want something a bit more than that, it is very much in, in that wheelhouse. Um so yeah, The Road from 2009. I will say, we don't really talk much about books on this podcast, but the book is phenomenal. It's just, mm. and it's really it's really quick to read as well. It's, it rattles along and it's not that long. Um, it's well worth reading and the film as well. Well worth seeing. So guys, that's us for this week. Uh, we'll be back here next week as we move into the sort of the end game of Harry Potter. So it'll be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one. Um, till then you can find us in many places online you can find us on Red Out at uh, Kaiju FM you can find us on Twitter at Petty Podcast you can find just me at life underscore academic and you can find just me at Rob Kaiju and we'll see you back here next week Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.